This is a Media Lab podcast. Hi there. I need to address something here at the very beginning of the show. Uh, the machine is up to its old tricks. I'm not. Well, I mean, you are. But we had recorded this episode, Dave and myself, and of course the machine is always standing here, looming over top of me, ceaselessly judging. Normally, when we record remotely, Dave records on his end, I record on my end, and we sync it up afterwards and it sounds great. Well, somewhere along the way, when Dave sent me this file... Uh, The machine decided that it wanted to corrupt it. I don't know what you're talking about. You did. I didn't. But you did. Luckily, just in case, I usually have a backup recording just in case this happens. It just is noticeably worse. So uh, that is what you're going to hear today. The backup recording on Dave's end, my perfectly golden-voiced self will be on the other end. And the machine, of course, as always, is always here watching preparing, plotting, something. All right, enjoy the episode. Listen, I am just a boy standing in front of a robot asking you for you love me. Uh, Kyle? Kyle. Oh, uh, well, hey, hey, Dave, you're here early. Uh, that was very awkward. What, what were you? I've, no, nothing, nothing's happening. There's, no, there's nothing. There's no relationship. I'm pretty sure that robot just broke up with you. No, it's, it's it's fine. It's it's fine. In his own garage, Kyle has built a machine cobbled together with parts found in his friend's church basement and a dumpster behind the local Dairy Queen. This monstrosity is now alive and evil. Kyle has convinced his friend Dave to help stop the apocalypse by reviewing films the machine picks. The ultimate purpose is still unknown, and Kyle could have probably done this himself, but he's not being dragged to hell alone. This This is is Kyle and Dave versus versus the machine. Welcome to Kyle and Dave versus the machine. My name is Kyle. I'm David. And I'm the machine. This is a podcast where a sentient machine forces us to watch movies in order to prevent it from initiating the apocalypse. Bastard. Although we tend to talk about the idea of the movie rather than the movie itself. Of course, we're going through the year 1999. And today, we get to talk about the film Notting Hill. A very ordinary boy bumps into a girl and takes her home. The bathroom's on the top floor. It happens all the time. But she is no ordinary girl. She is Anna Scott, the most famous film star in the world. And when they get together, everyone has something to say. Anna Scott, Anna Scott, Anna Scott. Hello, Anna. Scott. Hi, guys. Oh, Jesus, fuck. Dave, I am infinitely curious. What is your relationship with Nodding Hill? I don't have one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Do I you will want s- to have one. <laughs> I, no, I, I don't. I don't have one. I don't want to have one. The surprising thing, I think, is just that I know that it exists and that it's the one I think with Hugh Grant and uh, mm-hmm. Julia Roberts, maybe. But correct. Yeah. Other than that, yeah, nothing. Never seen it. Don't want to see it. Interesting. I don't know where my thought process happened on this one. I believed for many years that I did not like Hugh Grant. 
And maybe that was media pushing a narrative. I don't know. I've learned to uh, discover, or I've discovered here in my later years, that I'm actually a big fan of Hugh Grant and his thing that he does. So this is a film that I did not watch. I know of it. I know the movie poster actually quite well. Once again, one of those things where you're browsing through Blockbuster or, or that sort of thing. As far as I know, it's a pretty well-regarded romantic comedy from people who love romantic comedies. Now, I happen to be somebody who loves romantic comedies, so I'm definitely more predisposed to probably like it more than than what it sounds like you are. But uh, I'm actually really excited to jump into it and, and take a look at it. Just quickly, give me a top five rom-coms. Well, I'm one of the weirder ones. Like, I like When Harry Met Sally. I'm a big fan of that one. Um, uh, oh, my gosh. Uh, You're on the spot. Let's go. Timer's running anything. out. Is it Say Anything, the one with the boombox? Oh, that, yeah. that one I quite yeah. like. Um, John Cusack. Uh, I'm only thinking of, like, romantic films. Like, Princess Bride is technically a romantic comedy, although not it's really. It's a classic movie, yeah. It's on yeah, Disney yeah. Plus now. Where's our Correct. money? Sponsorship. But I also like things like Once and the Before trilogy and all those types of ones are basically just romance and it's stuff a, like the that before trilogy is just a drama there's nothing it is just a drama it. yeah there's not much I'm comedy so broken by the end it's just so depressing before sunrise is like our hell and i's favorite you know like mm-hmm. yeah. couple movie and then before uh sunset was okay and then before midnight i just i know it's interesting i think it really depends on your stage of life which one of those three movies you actually like the most yes i'm actually a fan of the second one the most i think that's the one that's more it's good <laughs> yeah. it. the, the first one is so like wrapped up in young idealized love that the i don't nostalgia. think it, the yeah. nostalgia is is there <laughs> anyways this is not a movie this is not a podcast about those those three movies yeah. let's do this dave let's um let's get our box of tissues out because we're gonna cry probably at some point Ooh. in this movie oh sorry i thought you were gonna go a different way <laughs> no <clears throat> no not not yet and uh, we'll go and watch that movie. Thanks some sponsors. And then when we come back, we'll talk about Notting Hill. Hey, everyone. It's Kyle here again to talk to you about some of our sponsors. But before we get into that, of course, Kyle and Dave versus the Machine is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network powered by ATB. The Alberta Podcast Network promotes and supports Alberta-made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta-based businesses and organizations. This episode of Kyle and Dave vs. the Machine is brought to you by Park Power, a provider of electricity and natural gas in Alberta that offers low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. In Alberta, you get to choose who to buy your energy from. If you switch retailers, nothing changes about the delivery of electricity or natural gas to your home or business. If you have an existing contract, you're going to want to find out the terms for leaving. If you don't, then it's even easier to sign up for Park Power. The choice is yours and there's a better deal available to you. Learn more at parkpower.ca. This episode of Kyle and Dave vs. the Machine is also brought to you by Storylines, a podcast from Women in Film and Television Alberta. Storylines highlights some of our province's most successful women in film and television, both behind the camera and in front of it. Hoshina Rossiter is herself a filmmaker, and she has had some deep and instructive conversations with trailblazers and experts in the field. A recent episode you might find interesting is Megan Westelmajor, entitled The Art of Production. The description is, a lot goes on behind the scenes of any film or television project, and no one knows that better than production coordinators like Megan Westelmajor. She speaks with Storylines host Sheena Roster about some of the high-budget Hollywood productions she's worked on, like Togo, Ghostbusters Afterlife, and the TV series Fargo. 
Same thing kind of goes on on this podcast. A lot goes on behind the scenes. Most of it is applying the makeup to the machine to make it look 20 years younger. And on the flip side, to make David look 20 years older. You can find storylines on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find it at wifta.ca. Wifta is, of course, the acronym W-I-F-T-A. That's W-I-F-T-A dot C-A. All right, Dave, I um, just having observed your visage in the, the screens that we have to use with our social distancing still in effect. I already know that I like this movie so much more than you do. <laughs> so, Did you see this, this is, face the whole time? I, yeah, the, the pained expression, the almost constipated look. Yeah, constipation is actually a great way to describe how I felt throughout this piece of shit. I'm just mm-hmm. waiting for it to get out. <laughs> Well, let me make you even angrier. So let's go through some information about this movie. So Notting Hill was released on May 28th of 1999. And the other film that was released that day was The 13th Floor, written by Joseph Resnack and Ravel Centeno Rodriguez, directed by Joseph Resnack, starring Craig Bierko, Gretchen Mole, Armin Mueller-Stahl, and Vincent D'Onofrio. Have you ever seen The 13th Floor? I don't even know if I know what that is, to be brutally honest. I feel like I have. I feel like, you know, like a lot of, particularly in American buildings, it's like in, in Asia, they don't have a four. And generally here, you don't have a 13. And I think the 13th yeah. floor, it's like a horror sci-fi movie. I think there's... It's, it has to be a horror movie for sure. Yeah, there's but. something on there. There's something. It has Vincent D'Onofrio in it. It has to be <laughs> a horror And, and Gretchen Mould, to be honest with you. Uh, yeah. She didn't really, she didn't get there. Currently rated 7.1 on IMDb. 68 on Metacritic and on Rotten Tomatoes based on 100 critic reviews, 83%. Don't do that. And based on 508,000 customer or user reviews, it's 79%. So this is very well regarded. (laughs) It is, it is available on DVD or Blu-ray. You can rent or buy it on iTunes or on Google play movies. And in Canada, it's available to stream on either prime video or on Netflix. So it's pretty very well available anywhere you want to go and watch this movie. Not that we did, but I can't believe I might have watched it on Netflix and it may affect my algorithm. (laughs) That's true. It's budget was $42 million. What? I am going to guess, based on uh, a throwaway line in the movie, that Julia Roberts probably got $15 million of that $42 million, is what I'm going to guess. And Hugh Grant was probably also, I'm going to, I don't know, I don't know what he's, his bankable he's already star was at, at that point. point. Yeah, he's kind of a big deal. Free Mickey Blue Eyes. It opened to $21 million. Wow. Domestically, it would go on to make another $116 million. Internationally, 247 which brings its total up to $363 million. Adjusted for inflation, that's $562 million. Now, to put that in perspective, that means that Notting Hill was the seventh highest grossing movie in 1999. The movies that we have already discussed that have beat it, The Mummy, barely beat it uh the matrix of course and then star wars episode one are the only other no, sorry movies sorry we've talked what about. was the movie called i'm oh, sorry uh star wars episode one the phantom menace right yeah let's yeah. let's be Just so we know what we're talking about let's be accurate we've already established that that movie deserves its full <laughs> its full title its plot description is 
the life of a simple bookshop owner changes when he meets the most famous film star in the world. It stars Julia Roberts as Anna Scott, Hugh Grant as William Thacker, Reese Ifans as Spike. I don't know if I'm saying his name right. Nobody, um, he doesn't even know. Yeah. And Emma Chambers as Honey. So let's talk about some of those uh, people. Emma Chambers, born March 11th, 1964. As a UK actor, she, of course, began acting on TV series. Those included things such as The Rainbow, Martin Chuzzlewit, and The Wind in the Willows. Uh, Notting Hill was her first feature film, and she would only be in one other film ever, uh, also from 1999, called The Clandestine Marriage. She'd returned to TV by appearing in the series How Do You Want Me?, and then the fairly popular, at least for UK standards, The Vicar of Dibley for all 24 episodes of that show. She continually suffered from asthma and was particularly acute if animals were around. After The Vicar of Dibley went off the air, she would semi-retire from acting and tragically would suffer a heart attack in 2018, which she did die from. Oh, wow. So, that got dark. It got super dark I mean, there. but that just, No, maybe not dark, just real, super real. We kept mm -hmm. it real there, machine. Wow. Just like this movie. There's nothing more real than Julia Roberts. Oh my God. Reese, Reese Ifans, or Ifans, I don't know. Born July 22nd, 1967. He also started on TV, but his first feature film was August in 1996. Notting Hill would be his breakout as he would go on to be in such high profile movies as The Replacements, Little Nicky, The Shipping News, and of course, Garfield, A Tale of Two Kitties. As with most British <laughs> As with most British actors, he would also be in a couple of Harry Potter films, and in recent years he's been appearing on the TV series Berlin Station, and will be maybe seen this year in The King's Man as the character Rasputin, described as a collection of history's worst tyrants and criminal masterminds gather the plot of war to wipe out millions. One man must race against time to stop them. And I believe this has our favorite Ray Fiennes in it, uh, in a role in that movie. I do like Ray Fiennes. Is that uh, like part of that Kingsman Mad Fun? Yeah, it's like the okay. prequel to the Kingsman. Okay. As a bit of a side note, he was the lead singer of a group called Super Furry Animals. Awesome. However, he was replaced before the group released any albums. So, oh, burn. That's yeah. that. Uh, Dave, the machine wants you to continue on from here. So let me send over your copy from, and uh, sorry, what uh, printer is it printing out from? Uh, the Epson ET2750, available mm, at like, Costco. Sounds like a good printer for a good value. You know, it would be even greater value if Epson paid us to continue to mention it as the yeah. device through which I am printing all I of I would it. love them to do that. I'll, I'll get in contact. Just tag it. Hashtag Ep Epson. <laughs> Hugh Grant, born September 9th, 1960. He began acting in the 80s, where he was originally credited as Huey Grant. Perfect. Do I have to say how cute? How <laughs> hey, the, the machine forces you to read it verbatim. So. All right, how cute. After a bunch of TV shows, he would make his film debut in the movie Maurice, a Merchant Ivory production. Is that important? Maybe. A little bit. Do you know anything about Merchant Ivory? No. So they were more big in like the... 80s i would say more than anything and they were usually costume dramas so oh gosh i think it's richard ivory i could be mistaken he was the writer and i think merchant was the producer person so they just did a bunch of collaborations and a lot of them had gay themes in them this one no uh, no different i see 
he would continue acting since then. I think that's fairly obvious computer. Yeah. Uh, but the 90s were certainly his decade. Before Notting Hill, he had been in The Remains of the Day, Four Weddings and a Funeral, Nine Months, Sense and Sensibility and Extreme Measures. In 1999, he would also appear in the aforementioned Mickey Blue Eyes. Yeah. I thought he was a lot older when that movie came out. Yeah, me too for some reason. But yeah, time is a weird <laughs> construct. It's a whole mysterious black hole. Hugh Grant has had his troubles. Right before nine months released, he was arrested near Sunset Boulevard for receiving pleasure from a prostitute. Oh, I remember that. The, his mugshots were incredible. Yeah, yeah. However, he was able to weather the salacious story by being open about his failings. He told Jay Leno, oh God, Jay Leno, I think you know in life what's a good thing to do and what's a bad thing. And I did a bad thing. And there you have it. It's like reading the script of fucking Notting Hill. He That's followed true. that up. By saying he had no excuses, he did what he did, and he accepts responsibility. That honesty somehow prevented him from having much blowback on his career. There's a lot of people in Hollywood right now that probably could use some advice. He would continue. You know what, this is what I think. Like, no, not to uh, excuse his behavior or like David Letterman's behavior uh, when he was cheating on his wife. But there is something to be said about that honesty when they come up and say, like, listen, this is what I did. This is what happens. Um, I don't agree with it. I'm sorry about it. Um, and I accept responsibility. I'm not going to make an excuse or blame somebody else. This is what I did. And let's move on. I don't know. There's something about that thing constantly like blaming others or deflecting it or, or something like that. It's uh, it's the sense of integrity. And mm -hmm. it's become more and more valuable as it seems to be less and less present. In our day-to-day -day life. How's that? <laughs> I like it. He would continue to be in such things as Bridget Jones' Diary, About a Boy, one of Kyle's all-time favorites. I actually like About a Boy, so I that's want great. to make fun of you, uh, Robot and Kyle, since you are two separate beings. And this actually, that's a good not... romantic comedy. I guess I could say that. Although, again, not a traditional romantic comedy I asked for either. five. He gave me three About a Boy. I was not in that group. <laughs> uh, <t> <laughs> Two weeks notice and love actually. I actually kind of like love actually. Parts of it. He's really funny in it. Yeah. As the prime minister, right? Yeah. Isn't that what he is? Yeah. Minister. He would embark on some experimentation with his career after romantic comedies stopped his bread and butter. Wait, what? Stopped. Thing? Sorry. <laughs> sorry. I think that's supposed to read. I think that's. I don't know. I'm just being, I'm parsing being. it. Okay. Being his bread and butter, yes. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to say take two, but I think we should leave yeah, it. We're going to keep this in. <laughs> just, to, yeah, just to focus on that, on this. But he would embark on some experimentation with his career after romantic comedy stopped being his bread and butter. Things such as American Dreams, Cloud Atlas, and The Man from Uncle. Was he in The Man from Uncle? Yeah, in a very bit part, though. I don't remember. That movie's a little forgettable. Also, shout out to his song and dance numbers in Paddington 2. Yeah, if you've not seen Paddington 2... That is a great movie. Yeah. It's a great, great movie. Both of them, actually. Yeah. Speaking of Paddington, the dad's in Notting Hill. Oh, that's right. Sorry. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> uh, he would once again have... Paddington his... is actually in Notting Hill. It's his first role that he got. I think if we, if we re rewind the tape... <laughs> He's in the background. <laughs> he would once again have his brush with police in 2011, but this time exposing somebody else. He secretly taped conversations with the former journalist and paparazzo. Should I say that? Paparazzo. Paparazzo. Who revealed that the, paparazzo cheese. Who revealed that the editors of the Daily Mail and the News of the World had been illegally phone tapping famous people with full knowledge of senior British uh, politicians. 
senior British politicians. This would, ev this would eventually lead to a cash settlement that he donated to charity. Uh, what? He, yeah, so he, he brought forward. He blew like, the whistle. But why he blew did he the whistle because he was part of the people that were being illegally wiretapped. Weird. So next, he got a yeah he got he sued them got a bunch of money and then donated it to charity. Up next for Hugh Grant is the TV series The Undoing, supposedly coming out sometime this year. Its plot description is: Life for a successful therapist in New York begins to unravel on the eve of publishing her first book. Oh, he's gonna uh, cross the. Gender. I don't think. That's yeah, he no, he's not the successful therapist in in this uh, uh, TV show. I also noticed in the trailer because we almost rented the gentleman that he's in that movie. Oh. Is that the run? Yeah. But the clip of his role makes it seem like it was written for Michael Caine. Anyways, moving on. We watched Birds of Prey, by the way, instead, which is a great movie. Yeah. Okay. If you say so. Wow. I had fun watching it. Julia Roberts, born October 28th, 1967. She really burst onto the scene in 1988, in which she appeared in three films and guest spot on an episode of Miami Vice. Then, within three years, she was in Mystic Pizza, Steel Magnolias, and Pretty Woman. That's a pretty good run for, for a new actress. Yeah, she's definitely a Scientologist. Mm -hmm. It was that movie that definitely made her a huge star. She'd go on to be in varied things like Flatliners, Hook, The Pelican Brief, and My Best Friend's Wedding. Notting Hill came near the end of her romantic comedy career, but Runaway Bride would come out that same year. Oh, Runaway Bride, is, this, is that the Richard Gere one? Uh, gosh, I forget who is a Runaway Bride. I think you might be right, yeah. I, I don't know why I know so much about these movies. And then she'd be an Erin Brockovich, in which she'd win an Academy Award for Best Actress. She's averaged a movie a year since then, but rarely has she been in anything that reached the heights of her films in the 90s. The last film you may have seen her in is Ben is Back, which came out in 2018. She identifies as a Hindu. I'm just, I'm going to leave a pause. Just leave that, just leave that there for dramatic effect. <laughs> Boop. Uh, she's a devotee of Swami Dharam Dev and her three children who are named Hazel, Phineas, and Henry. Ph Phineas, Phineas. Well, there's an A. I'm just saying that's how you say Phineas. <laughs> I'll have to leave that in there too. Have alternate names based on Hindu gods, Lashmi, Ganesh, and Krishna Balram. She started to take on the role of producer in the last few years. In fact, two projects she's producing, she'll also be appearing in as an actress. One is the TV series Gaslit. The other is the movie Little Bee, whose plot description is the lives of a 16-year-old Nigerian orphan and a British couple on vacation collide one fateful day on an African beach when one of them has to make a terrible choice. Two years later, they meet again. That was a pretty long run-on sentence there at the beginning. It is, but I did not write that from IMDb, so blame them. She's, you know, like, uh, she, she can act. It's quite a yeah, wide I, range. I don't hate Julia Roberts. I know, I actually have friends who outright despise julia roberts it will not see anything she's in but i've never had that struggle feeling towards her to be honest i remember i had a thing like i had a thing against pretty woman but i mean i've seen all of these movies like hook is one of my favorite movies i used to own flatliners on uh what does vhs stand for i don't even remember written by richard curtis born november 8th 1956 he has had a great writing career wow that's strong since he wrote this movie 
He started writing the comedy show, not the nine o'clock news, before writing for each season. Yeah, before writing for each season of Blackadder. Oh, in mm-hmm. fact, I think he wrote almost every episode, or has a credit on almost every episode of Blackadder. Okay, if that's true, why is this movie not funny? His first, I, I think it is funny. So we're gonna have to talk about that when we get to the movie. His first film script was The Tall Guy, which came out in 1989. His other films would be Four Weddings and a Funeral and the Mr. Bean movie. And he also, I think, wrote for the Mr. Bean TV show as well. Since Notting Hill, such, uh, since Notting Hill, comma, such credits include, is there a comma there? Wait, since Notting Hill. I don't think such should be in that sentence for some reason. Since Notting Hill, credits include. Since Notting Hill, his writing credits include. Bridget Jones, Bridget Jones Diary, Love Actually, and a bunch of episodes of The Vicar of Dibley, War Horse, and the acclaimed romantic film About Time, which he also directed. Have you I, seen About Time? Which one's About Time? I don't. It think has so. Donald Gleason and oh, what's the girl's name? But it's it's kind of a romance, but uh, they can time travel at the same time. I have actually not seen it, but it is actually uh, over the last few years becoming considered like a modern classic, and also like a, on a bunch of like best of the decade lists like it, it's very highly regarded oh about time i really didn't like this movie with uh rachel mcadams there it is thank you maybe you just don't like richard curtis maybe that's the issue uh, yes and we'll talk about that because the writing is terrible in this thing last year he wrote the film yesterday which didn't have the greatest critical response but up next is the live action version of the little mermaid there you go that is Richard Curtis. <laughs> wow. Directed by Roger Mitchell, born June 5th, 1956. His first film was Persuasion in 1995. But Notting Hill was really what, cap, uh, what, what catapulted him to other projects. To be a bit catty, do I have to say that? Yeah. yeah. To be a bit catty, none of those films have had gigantic success. But then again, not many directors can say they've consistently done that. Wow, that's a weird thing. Could have just let people decide some of his highlights include venus one of peter o'toole's last roles morning glory my cousin rachel and the documentary tea with the danes up next is the film the duke its plot description is in 1961 kempton bunton a 60 year old taxi driver steals goya's portrait of the duke of wellington from the national gallery in london all right dave uh let me have it what are your first impressions of Notting Hill? Well, other than uh, that, not liking it, you know, that's pretty much my first impression. I think, I think um, you know what bothers me about this movie, and this might just be because, uh, you know, I have taste, is that uh, I, I find the whole premise of romantic comedies that are written this way, A, that it's written by a man, because it's like this poor me male character who's like perfect. And then this hysterical, crazy woman uh, who has to come to her senses and give him the respect that he deserves for being perfect. It's a f- a fucking annoying. And then I was thinking, is this a movie that's marketed for women to idolize this idea of a you know, like, handsome, charming British man who's, who's had his heart broken as a divorcee, holding in a tiny little intellectual bookshop and he's so cute and, and self-deprecating. And he happens to meet this. It's, the whole thing is bullshit. And, and I couldn't get over it. I was trying so hard to just be like, be in the moment. It's just a movie. 
wait for it to happen. Can, sorry, can I ask you the question to to jump in here? Yes. The bullshit you're referring to is it the actual premise or the uh, how do I ask this? Is it the premise that the movie has or is it the actual like emotions that the characters are having? I think it's the premise. Like, okay. so for example, I was joking. You were joking, and I was being kind of a dick about the idea of being charming. Like, I think actually, uh, at least, yeah, Hugh Grant, in his own way, and Julia Roberts, they act well in it for the role that they're supposed to play. But I don't understand the story at all. I think like it's not a compelling narrative for me to watch this completely unreasonable romance take place and it also felt like at the end this idea that the perfect conclusion is that they're lying in a park and she's pregnant like i don't know cal i, I don't understand movies like this i don't understand why they exist i don't understand the appeal <laughs> why they exist uh and i am being very cynical about it but you know yeah, who I, hurt you in your life that you just don't <laughs> like love but I like other, you know, what were the ones you named? Like uh, Sleepless in Seattle. I liked yeah, I they, didn't like I, I didn't like the remake, You Got Mail, or the sequel. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. What's another one? I mean, Princess Bride's great, but I don't know. It's more, there's a lot of layers to Princess Bride. So, I mean, that's just a better film. That's a film. Princess Bride is a film. Oh, right? I see, I see. The film <laughs> slash movie debate. Um, so, here's what I'll say. My feelings to this movie are actually weirdly juxtaposed because I think that if it was only the third act we're talking about, I would 100% agree with you. I think the third act is actually a big mess. <laughs> but the lead up to all that, I think, is great, like legitimately great. And I was having such a good time. And then uh, we'll get to it. There's a thing that happens that changes this movie. I'm like, oh, why would you go in this direction this is so unfortunate because you are going to uh, in an interesting place. I can only talk about movies from my own background and my own perspective. So here's some things that I think that this movie is doing extremely well. So number one, I think they cast it like top notch. Like every person in this is great. I think it's, it has that very the good British flavor to it. I know we've talked about uh, the other br bad British film we watched with the musicians in it that will not be named, but it, it like the snark that there's in this, but there's a lot of, like the love between the, the group of people there. Like they cut each other to the bone in some of these things. Uh, but it's still with kind of with love. And we know that they actually all like each other. What I loved too, is that, and maybe you can think of other examples that this happens in, but I thought it was an interesting inversion of usually how these movies work in that in the setup process, at least it is the woman who has like all the power in the relationship. She is the one who is like super rich, super famous. It's not the man who is super rich, super famous and the girl falling in love with a rich person. So they've actually flipped the two roles from one another. I think too. tell me that I'm reading too much into this movie. I actually feel it's subtly acknowledging that she isn't actually interested in him at the very beginning at all. And the only reason she starts fancying him is because he doesn't answer that phone call. So through his uh, uh, like roommate accidentally not giving him the message, that is the only time she was interested in him. Because I don't get that impression when she's in the bookstore the very first time. And even that little like 
uh, first interaction with the the meeting, it's only because he starts making stuff up. It's just like, okay, there's more to this guy than I thought. I thought this was just a weird, quirky bookstore guy that I was going to have a, a fling with. And now I'm actually starting to develop feelings. And then the last thing I'll say before I throw it back to you is I thought it was a bit refreshing that by and large, no one is lying in this movie. You know what I mean? Like he says, I'm a bookstore owner. I have, I'm divorced. Like he puts everything out on the line. And yes, he's lying to like the publicists, but he's being truthful to her when it's just them one-on-one. So anytime that they're together in a scene, it's not like I'm actually a big, important business guy. And and then that rug is pulled out from them later on in the movie when like the lie comes to it, which I find another trope in a lot of romantic films is it's the lie that's the centerpiece the rug gets pulled and then they still fall in love with each other that's never really the the thing here in this movie so i think there's a lot of stuff that is going for it and then i'll talk about the thing i don't like (laughs) here in a moment but i don't know if you have anything to respond to that with yeah i mean i and this is thing where maybe just being so cynical drew me away from it and also not a big rom-com advocate uh, even though I think now that we're talking about, it, I've probably seen and like more than I uh, acknowledge. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know what care to admit. I don't know if I'm ashamed of. They just don't come up to my mind because I don't uh, mm-hmm. dwell on them enough. Maybe. So the part that you're talking about that made me feel like this was uh, confusing, and it's funny that you brought it out that way. Number one is, uh, yeah, like that the characters are portrayed as sort of these very singular and I don't know, extreme. I think, I don't know if we brought up in the podcast, but like this concept of integrity, you know, this Hugh Grant character is this actual model human, right? Yeah, sure. He's like, he has very few, like, like bad qualities. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. So then whether you like the bashful British um, ham or not becomes irrelevant because like you said, he always sort of tries to play it on the level. Uh, including in all of his uh, um, his backroom uh, talks with his friends and the way he presents himself at some of their dinner parties and they're all like beating each other up in apparently good humor. And there was a moment in some of those interchanges where I had to keep whispering to myself, even though I do like British humor, that this was just an extreme concept of the idea of how uh, British people will kid with each other as opposed to, let's say, what we would expect in an American conversation. But it, I mean, some of the so it was hard to contextualize um, for me. Like some of the di- like when they started doing the poor me pity me uh, thing for the brownie cupcake. Yeah, the brownie. I, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it took me a little while to kind of understand where that was going. And, um, and well, I and then, there again is another cool thing because I think in a lesser movie, she would bring up that concept of like I'm an actress and like you know I'm dieting all the time. I uh, I'm actually this Smart. caged bird type of scenario and then would have gotten the brownie. And I'm glad like, no, like that, that's not going to fly with us here. Like our like middle class, low or lower middle class lifestyle. Upper. I mean, the house is fucking huge. But that's I, true. I am. Um, you know what? I will give the movie credit there for sure that I actually started to get upset. They were going to give it to her because they shot uh, me too. I was like, oh, don't do it. <laughs> and when they flipped it, I'm like, okay, like, you know, this integrity thing, I'm like at least these people you know, and it was important to see her laugh about it too, where it wasn't just a gang, like a majority mm-hmm. decision. We're just like, oh, we just don't believe you. Like that she was acting, acting. Right. My only sort of like positive moment was the uh, passage of time panning as he walked oh, through. Oh, so book. good. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, but just before that, after the first breakup, um, the first time pass was very confusing to me. I didn't understand 
you know, like the dating scene with all the women. Like I didn't, I couldn't, yeah. under, I couldn't put that together. How much time had passed? So I thought that was a little confusing. The introduction, the meet cute. I, I was upset already at that point. I think I'm watching it. and I'm like, okay, you know, it's fine. The movie's just started, and then the Hollywood starlet walks in, and I'm like, yeah, you know, fine. And then they have this little flirty interchange. I'm like, okay, you know, that's possible. And then all of a sudden, the dumping of the orange juice and coming over to the place. And as you're walking away, making out with the dude. And like you said, it didn't feel like they were going to genuinely have a thing, which I think set me off a little, uh, like off balance a little. Uh, but I couldn't even understand. And maybe this is a 90s thing. We've just become too paranoid as a, as a society. But this idea that you've met somebody at the corner, they spill a drink on you. They invite you into their house to get changed. That doesn't happen <laughs> Come on. No, but I mean, that's I, a I recipe I, for like assault, right? It's like super creepy. But in this case, it's supposed to come off as like wholesome and charming and doing the yeah. right thing, being right by people. And, you know, he's never advancing his romantic interests. He's staying in the back and trying to play it, you know, humble and cool. And I, the whole time I was just like, this would never happen. Like, I, I just don't understand what's happening right now. And then when she sneaks back in and gives him the kiss, I was like, no, I, I can't buy into this. I don't even understand. See, that's the thing, and, and this is why this is not like a home run for me, even though I'm much more positive on it than you're going to be. Ear is more positive than Dave. Is I think that there could have been, a, by the way, apparently, reading some trivia while we were watching the movie, which I probably shouldn't have been doing, do you know the, the, the original cut of this movie was three and a half hours? Oh, come on. There's literally like three entire plot lines they cut from this movie because they just couldn't, didn't have the time to put it in. I only bring that up because I wish they had given a bit more time for those motivations to be 100% clear. Because I feel, and this might be, again, might be my little fan fiction I'm creating in my head, but it feels to me this is something she's done before, where it's like, okay, some rube, I meet on the street, I invite them back, who's ever gonna believe that they had sex with me? Big famous movie actress, so who cares? I can take the shot, and um, that's what it starts off as, this little cat and mouse game, like come over to my hotel, and then because that doesn't happen in the way she expects it to be, that's when it's like, okay, there's something different about this guy, whether there is or isn't. So there, there, there's that sort of thing. Well, uh, but I do legitimately think this movie is funny. Like even that first interaction with Hugh Grant and his, and Reese, Ifans, however you say his name, doing the three shirts, there was actually an LOL moment I had. Yes. I laughed out loud while I was watching. I'm like, okay, this movie has me for the next little bit. Fine. I mean... Yeah, the supporting cast is great, and there are some great uh, verbal issues. So I shouldn't really beg on the writing per se. I think mm -hmm. when I talk about sort of the comedic thing, it's comedy that's on the outside of the relationship. Even like I don't know, I just I just didn't buy it. But like you said, you're bringing up this idea of like I didn't have that backstory, and I I think I would argue maybe a little bit differently, only in that she's displayed as having this hysterical breakdown when they are captured on film right um, and so for a person who is that obsessed with their image and worried about who they're supposed to present to be i can't i can't put that with this idea that this has happened before for me the concept is supposed to be that she is compelled by his charm and maybe this is i mean i don't know how big hugh grant's gravitas is at this he point. was pretty big with women and and other people i would That's he was thing, big with right? big the public at this point like he was he was a pretty big actor at this point for sure so i feel like if you're saying there's three hours or a, a full movie that's been cut out of this you know 
I have a feeling that the producers are probably banking that the audiences are just going to assume that you meet Hugh Grant in the street. If you're a man or a woman, you're going to drop your trowel and right. you're just going to do whatever you can to be with this man because he's whatever it is. And he's I don't Grant, buy into yeah. it. Because like, you know, in his later career and all this stuff, I mean, he's, he's can be charming, but I, I just, I don't understand uh, that. And I feel like for me, it needed to be played a little bit with, with some kind of sequence. So then the rest of the movie, I couldn't buy into their relationship and that would be on me. Right. And, mm -hmm. um, and certainly, you know, in reflection, if I just ignore rationality and evidence and good, uh, good structure, then yeah, I mean the movie itself can be fun until the end. The end gets convoluted. It, very um, convoluted. You know, let's talk about that. And then I have actually, I, I did the same thing as I did with Star Wars, which I wrote down a bunch of notes while I was writing this. But I do want to address the the ending piece because I do think it falls apart. Because a, a movie I was going to rate like really high dropped down like a full star <laughs> for me just based on this ending piece. So we get to that point where. They, you know, have, spend the night to each, with each other, right? And then he opens the door and the paparazzi are all there, take, take a bunch of photos. And then she breaks it off with him, of course. And, you know, we go into like the third act. It is a thousand percent unbelievable to me and breaks my entire fiction of this film that he is not hounded by paparazzi for the rest of his life. Right. There is no way if you spend the night with the most famous actress that you're like, oh, I just could go back to my normal life and I'm going to go to my bookstore. You're going to have uh, interviews lined up. The BBC is going to be there. Like, there's no way. Well, like, and it's just, to it me, it's like, like this whole concept of the theme of uh, like star and that, that thing that they're, they, that they brought in at the very beginning, I thought was going to come in again. And like, no, they kind of just dropped that completely. I'm like, I, what, what's happening? <laughs> like, wh where's the, even semi-believability that's going on with this. Well, to your point, like at the conclusion media conference, everybody knows him by name, but nobody recognizes him as he walks yeah. in, sneaks in. It's so weird to me. Right. <laughs> and so, I don't know. It's a, it's a fantasy, which sure. I can, I want to just be ignorant about and just be like, okay, this is it. But yeah, it, there are these moments where I, I keep getting kicked out of the story. My brain keeps asking, if I have to ask a question about what we're doing here, then the magic of the movie for me is lost. What are you doing here? It's one of the problems with, uh, like, for example, Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. I mean, even from the opening, never mind the scene, like just the scroll up, the, the, the fantasy is broken. So in this movie, if I want to be invested in a romantic comedy, you got to go all in and yeah, do a three hour epic where I can see all the pieces folding together. Yeah, or we got a Judd real Apatow, uh, comedy film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, com com we're air quoting com comedy. Yeah. I think that is he the one that started dramedies? It doesn't matter. Or if you're going to keep it light, then just keep it light. It, it was just really frustrating to me because it was something I was really enjoying that kicked me out of the movie, like you said. And then I thought that the, the points that they were trying to make, which I thought were valid ones. Cause I think that that does have something kind of interesting to say in the beginning portion about fame specifically. So what is it like to be a famous person just wanting to have a secluded life, but unable to, that's a cool thing to delve into and, and figure out. And with her old boyfriend, the Alec Baldwin cameo that I was like, Oh, Alec Baldwin's in this movie, I guess contrasting that with the guy who just wants to live in kind of a normal life and not be in the spotlight. Like there's things that you could be playing with here that they think, would be interesting to explore. But again, the movie kind of just 
disregards that and goes off in its own thing at the last little bit. Uh, one of the last things that Julia Roberts says, her character says, is, you know, the fame thing isn't actually real. Like, that's a, a direct quote that she says. And it's like, cool. Like, that is an interesting concept. Again, that's a cool line. But again, I don't think that the movie supports it. <laughs> I don't think it actually supports that premise when you continue to be famous or it's like you don't actively say, I'm going to disregard my fame and walk away from it. Like th this feels to me like this could have been an alternate like, um, uh, oh, my gosh, what's the character's name who starred in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? Rick Moranis. Moranis. This could have been an interesting like Rick Moranis story, right? Or Robert Where she Redford pre pre non-retirement, right? Right. I'm, then, yeah, I'm just coming to the ideas like, you know what? I actually uh, value family or relationships more. I've done this fame thing. I'm cool with stepping away completely from this from this point on. And that's what the movie drives towards. But again, it never well, does. And I, never, and I feel that, like that, you need that three hour background. You know, like I need to see if I if that's where that movie is supposed to go, you need to see Julia Roberts actually not want a part of this life. But for the most part, other than um, trying to lay her Mac down with Hugh, she's doing the press conference. She's on the red carpet. The, the opening montage is her in like, you know, with the uh, meta Julia Roberts life. Right. After they get together, there's a full sequence of them living the red carpet life before they cut to this, you know, British utopian park right. where the everybody park, yeah. is so happy in their little families and she's pregnant reading a book and like the end, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't. And that's the thing. Right. It's easy to say that when you were getting $15 million a picture. So it's like, sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's great. I think, um, to your point though, like that it's so specified, not that I would want to sit through three hours of this, but it would be fascinating from a writing perspective if that were originally the intent and like the mm -hmm. intent was. Uh, on top of a romantic comedy, like a, a a statement or a comment on the Hollywood world, but I don't know. It just it felt messy to me. Okay, so here's some last few notes uh, that I wanted to touch on. Number one, I think it is also Buckwild unbelievable that he doesn't know who Leonardo DiCaprio is. Oh God! <laughs> Only because it's like uh, he was in the movie that made a billion dollars two years ago, like the mo one of the most famous people. If he knows who she is. There is no way he does not know who Leonardo DiCaprio is. It was, Anyways, it was a that, set up for a bad joke. The song. I don't know if you are familiar with that song. When you say nothing at all, when that starts playing, I was like, what, what? Because I'm maybe when this movie came out, I'd have to look at the charts that this was like an unknown song. I don't know. But that is such an overplayed song at like at weddings and all that kind of stuff that it would be almost as if and I was trying to find like the perfect song I could think of if like a modern movie. It would be like if they played like um that Goatye song or something like that, but as like earnestly in a movie. I'm like, wait, no, you can't do that. It's like it's so overplayed. You can't actually use this song anymore without me laughing at like the absurdity of you using this song in the first place. <laughs> so I, I have two things to say. Number yeah. one, I kind of was put off and it, I think this is a subtitle problem that all of the songs were so literal for the key mm. moments they were supposed to play into. And maybe be, if I didn't know the titles or couldn't really pay attention to the chorus, uh, I might have got away with this. So if I saw this in the theater, you know, maybe I wouldn't have been so up, uh, upset about it. <laughs> but, you know, I'm already disinvested in this movie. And then is like, let's say his uh, first depression comes out and they play the song like you know why did you leave or something like that and yeah. you're just like oh it's so fucking and the, the second kind of funnier thing is uh, until 2014 2013 
let's say 2013, I had never heard that song before. Really? Oh, that is a remarkable. <laughs> so, I, but here's the funnier part. My, a friend of mine was getting married in Toronto and they asked me and Helen to sing that at their <laughs> wedding. Why? Right? And so I, uh, I had to, for the first time, hear about, because the title is also the same song as a completely different famous, uh, what's the, what's the, this song's called? Uh, when You Say Nothing At All is one right. of what the song is called. Which I, which I think, I, was thinking, I know the cover version, because there was a, a cover version on country radio when I was growing up that was played all the time. Oh, because I, when I hear that, it's like a chorus line from, uh, you say it best, when you say nothing, you know, something like oh, that. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so I thought it was that, and then, uh, they sent the uh, MP3, and I was like, "What the? F- what is this?" And Helen's like, "This is a very famous song. I'm like, I have never heard this." Feel <laughs> oh, that is so crazy. Maybe, maybe so. Maybe it's true. You just don't know who Leonardo DiCaprio is either. Because there, there's, it would be as if you would miss Gangnam Style or something like that. <laughs> so the well, here's the bookend of this hilarious story. So um, hypothetically, if Helen were watching this movie while I was in the room uh, with you in the machine. Mm-hmm. When that song started playing, she perked up and she said, don't you remember this? And I was like, nope, I have no <laughs> recollection of what this is. And she said, we sang Jesus. that at our friend's wedding. I'm like, what do you mean? And she said, don't you remember the, like, the lines? And I just sat there listening to it and I was like, no. Until they got to <laughs> oh, the chorus, boy. I'm like, oh, I kind of remember what this sounds like. So. Not only did I sing it once, Kyle, I immediately burned it from my memory mm-hmm. uh, until it was revisited uh, watching this film. I will now try to find video of this performance. Okay, two, two last things. Number one, uh, the Mel Gibson joke sure doesn't age well. Um, and then lastly, the newspapers last forever. I'm like, well, I don't know how, how much longer they're going to last for either. So uh, somewhat dated references, I would say, in this film. Uh, let's ask what I like to ask here. Uh, cultural relevance, Dave, do you think this is something that's going to stand the test of time or, or does it say anything about 1999? Everything is very dated and has a very dated look with that, with the exception of that panning shot, even the, mm-hmm. the cinematography and the way it's shot is very dated. It, it feels like a VHS straight to TV, TV movie nowadays, like from what we expect visually. Uh, me being someone who didn't like the story, uh, I can't, I can't keep this anywhere near modern times, even the picky thing of spilling a drink on a woman, inviting her into your flat, that for me doesn't exist anymore. Whether it should from a romanticist version is one thing, but uh, we definitely do not live in an era where just because a bookkeeper is a bookshop owner is uh, charming that you can just be like, oh yeah, just uh, put on your clothes in my room over here. Everything's going to be uh, I fine. Think, I think you are showing the cynicism of our world a little <laughs> bit too much, to be honest. Well, I'm biased because I didn't like the movie. So I don't think it holds up. I don't think it tells us anything important. I think the nature of celebrities changed too much. Like you bring up that yeah. people could be left alone uh, is impossible. And um, yeah, I just, I just don't like it. I think it's a little bit better than what you're saying here. I Again, I have major issues with the last act of this movie, which is unfortunate. Uh, I still had a great time, though. I could see me putting this on. I don't think it's uh, the upper tier of romantic comedy by any stretch of the imagination, but I could see this being something I revisit 
uh, over time. Just because, again, I, I really like Hugh Grant. I like his performance and what he does. His like stammering, almost talking thing that it feels like he's not even acting to me. It feels like that is literally just him. Oh, speaking. he's not. He's not acting. Yeah, yeah <laughs> well, maybe not be, but I think what this is showing, yes, is that 1990 was a very different time. This is before even internet celebrity, and where we could be being recorded 24 seven. So this is just a a perception into fame that is just not really relevant necessarily anymore. We're done here. All right. Well, the machine just told us to stop talking, Dave, and uh, let's get to some trivia. So. The house with the blue door where William lives is real. It once belonged to Notting Hill screenwriter Richard Curtis. So that blue well, door blue door exterior is a real place that he actually lived in. Of course it did, because this was written as a fantasy of what would happen if before he was famous, he could And he so did actually marry live. Julia Roberts. So well, no, he did. That, that's a lie. That's a lie. Whomever he fantasized about at the time. I mean, that's what this movie plays like. I'm still upset. Okay. All right. <laughs> Talking about that long shot we talked about, the long shot where William Thacker walks through Notting Hill during summer, fall, winter, and spring was actually four different shots, all filmed on the same day. Computer technology just morphed Hugh Grant seamlessly from one shot to the next. But I still think that is kind of like the standout shot for, for sure. And just a neat way to show like the passage of a year um, in the That's story beautiful. time. Yep. I really enjoyed that part. Dave, I'm going to send over the last two pieces of trivia. Ah, okay. So, Omid Jalili plays the cashier at the coffee shop. He was filming The Mummy at the same time at the same studio, so was conscripted to fill in the part very conveniently. Yeah, apparently, I like some an actor might have like dropped out at the last moment, so they just brought him over because he was filming The Mummy next door. So, like, we just need someone to like sell some coffee. I think it would have been really hilarious though if it like had been like Rachel Weiss or Brendan Fraser or something like that too. It's <laughs> like a huge book. name, just in a quick like quick uh, cameo. Stephen Baldwin. The decision to cast Hugh Grant was unanimous, as he and Kurt, uh, as he and Richard Curtis had a writer actor marriage made in heaven. Wow. Roger Mitchell said that Hugh does Richard better than anyone else. Full stop. No. Uh, Hugh does <laughs> Richard better than anyone else, and Richard writes Hugh better than anyone else. And that Grant is one of the only actors who can speak Richard's lines perfectly. Why is this trivia? This is just. <laughs> and it's like gossip or something like that. gossip. Did... You know what this is? This is, uh, this is stroking. Masturbatory. Yeah, yeah. There's, uh, this is like idolatry, it's worship. They're so good together. They compliment. They're so nice and, and famous and successful. Fuck off. <laughs> okay. So, Dave, uh, out of five, uh, let's actually let me back up. The time has come to rate this movie. And, of course, anyone who wants to take a look at our huge list that we're making for 1999 can do so by going to our Letterbox page, letterbox.com slash KDVSTM. Of course, there'll be a link in the show notes. Of course, KDVSTM is also our username on Twitter and on Instagram as well. You can check out some of the stuff over there. Oh, and I should also say, I haven't said this for a while. Number one, definitely you can rate and review us on iTunes if you have not done so already. That's a huge help for us. But also, if you want to get in contact with us, it's Kyle and Dave versus the machine at gmail.com. So you can send in any feedback you have there as well. Dave, what would you rate Notting Hill? So my overall opinion should be a one. However, uh, I think that, you know, Hugh Grant, Julia Roberts, the supporting cast, and that uh, tracking shot, are we going to call it, are salvageable. 
uh, despite <laughs> in spite of the sort of uh, ridiculous premise and how it ends. So I w- am willing to bump it up to a two. A two. Okay, you give it a two. I am giving it the very strong rating of 3.5 is what I'm giving this movie. However, we have to go and give it our average here. And round down. And round down. Yeah, that is correct. Make sure you're rounding down, Kyle. Whatever the number is, we'll just make sure it's... I don't want to sound bitter, but... <laughs> Well, sure. we have we have to have a, a, another conversation here. So, uh, rounded down, of course, that comes to two point seven five. That means that it is currently tied with two other films. Okay, which is Ravenous and She's All That. So, would you put that above those two, under those two, in between those two? She's All That is currently rated above Ravenous for us. I will just say myself. I personally think that Notting Hill is better than both of those movies, but that is it is up to you to to do the tiebreaker i'm just yeah it is it is better i suppose <laughs> and she's all that mm-hmm. um yeah and better than ravenous as a as a as a project yeah. mm-hmm. all right yeah we can put okay. it on top of those other two okay well then entering our list at number 11 is nodding hill Well, this has been an invigorating talk here, David. I guess we should see what we are going to be reviewing next week. Let me just push this button here. Come on, be a winner. Be a winner. winner. We are watching our first sequel, technically. We've had a prequel already, but this is our first sequel that we're going to be reviewing. Austin Powers 2, The Spy Who Shagged Me. Okay. So I don't... I can't believe that Austin Powers holds up after 20-some years, but I'm willing to... uh, try it out and see how it works yeah i'm interested to see it i i do know that i did like that franchise i i remember liking time. it too yeah. yeah so hopefully i won't be sorely disappointed isn't that kind of your thing though could you just maybe leave me and the machine alone together there's a we just need to have a conversation i i don't even know how to respond to that <laughs> i'm just gonna walk out this door i might have to chase after them to the airport here later tonight it's a, it's a whole thing 